Well, like Gina said, we're in uh, the Lord's Prayer, and today's the 40th day. Next week, we're going to wrap this thing up as we look at, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, which, by the way, isn't just a 10-4 good buddy. There's a lot in that, but today is the 40th day of prayer. Now, occasionally, I get emails that say something like this, okay? PG, every morning, I start out with great intentions to change my ways, I think today is going to be different, but it never is. Somehow, some way, I always seem to fall back into the same old pattern of relating to people and my old habits. Sometimes I feel like there's a tug of war going on inside of me, honestly. I really want to do what's best, but I always end up disappointing myself and God. PG, I've tried everything, prayer, resolutions, self-help tapes, even hypnosis. Nothing seems to work. Why do I keep making the same mistakes over and over and over? Why am I so resistant to change? Why do I or why do why do I do things that I know are bad for me? I'm really discouraged and I need help getting unstuck. Now I think if we were all honest, we could all say, you know what, that's me right there, right? But the reality is this good intentions are not good enough. If you truly are going to have a breakthrough in your life, in some habit that you have, uh, good intentions aren't good enough. As I like to say, it takes more than just promises. It really takes practice, right? If we're going to reach our redemptive potential, we have got to break the cycle of good intentions that goes something like this. Good intentions, failure, guilt, confession. Oh, I'm going to promise again to never do that again. Good intentions, you know, failure, guilt, confession, and on and on we go. Is that the way God wants us to live? I don't think so. That's why God put this sixth part in, in the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, oftentimes when we think of temptation, We think of temptation as an enticement to do evil, to do something wicked, to do something bad, like murder somebody, okay? You have teenagers, you might fight that temptation, I understand. But actually, Satan is more subtle than that, at least in my life. Folks, I'm not tempted to murder anybody. I'm not tempted to commit adultery. I mean, I have Cheryl. She is a godly, great woman. But I have a list of what I call subtle temptations that I have constantly have to be aware of. And I'm going to give them to you because I want to be open and transparent. And I'm going to start with the least and work up. These are the top 10. I'm tempted to do what works rather than what's right. I'm tempted to do what's easy. I'm tempted to do what's quick. I'm tempted to do what works in the short run. I'm tempted to do what is self-serving. In other words, what's best for me. I am tempted to do what's unimportant. I love to procrastinate. Let's just put that off, okay? When do I have to make that decision? I'm tempted to do what I've always done. I'm tempted to do what's right for the wrong reason. I'm tempted to do nothing at times. Pastor George, that's only nine. Here's the top one. I'm tempted to please people more than God. I'm a pastor. I want people to like me. You see, 
The truth is temptation is a lot more subtle than what you and I might think. But the answer to the temptations that you have, that I have, that we all have, is found in the sixth part of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God says in that part of the prayer, that is the pathway of escaping. You see, what is this path of escape that God gives us? Well, take a look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. The temptations that come into your life are, not, are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you will not give in to it. When you hear somebody say, hey, no one knows what I'm going through. Guess what? That's not true. All temptations are common to everybody. When you hear somebody say, you know what, that temptation was so strong, I just had to do it. You know what they're in essence saying? They're saying, God, you're a liar. Because God says, no, there's a way out of this thing. When you hear somebody say, you know, I just couldn't help myself. They're not telling the truth and mostly to themselves. Temptation is a choice. It is a choice between right and a choice between wrong. This weekend, we're going to look at this sixth part of the Lord's Prayer, the application, really, of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that I just read. You see, what are the steps to this path of escape that God tells us about? Well, the first step is this. I must identify what makes me vulnerable. Now, notice that I didn't say what tempts you. Folks, you already know what tempts you. What you may not have thought of is what causes you to be tempted by it. What, what makes you weak to it? What makes you susceptible to it? It's interesting when Jesus talked about temptation with his disciples. In Matthew 26, verse 41, he said this, Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh is weak. In other words, you may be willing to overcome some temptation. You may want to overcome some temptation, but willpower isn't enough. Have you discovered that? Have you discovered just waking up in the morning with good intentions, and I'm going to do it today, okay, isn't enough. The, the, the spirit is willing, but willpower isn't enough. I'm going to lose weight today. Yeah, Right. It's interesting, Jesus says, watch and pray. Will you circle those two words? We just don't pray. Folks, it's not enough to pull out your prayer ring in the middle of the day and pray. That's good. But Jesus says, and. He doesn't say watch or pray. He says, watch and pray. Watch for what? You watch for circumstances that make you vulnerable. Now, let me explain this. At LifePoint Church, we teach that every human being is unique, that there is no one like you, that God didn't make a clone of you somewhere in the world, that you have five characteristics, general characteristics that make you, you. We call it your shape, that you have a unique shape, spiritual gifts, heart or passions, uh, abilities, personality and experiences in life. Those five things make you, you. 
and they equip you to do ministry in the church and missions in the world. A lot of people come to me and say, George, what's God's will for my life? Well, what's your shape? Well, I don't know. I said, well, here are the five things. Let's do a little assessment on what those five things are because God wants to use you and he uses your shape to help you discern what that is. That's the positive side of shape. What you may not realize is that your shape affects what tempts you. I am a people person. There are positives to that. There are also negatives to it, aren't there? Your shape defines the positive, the will that God wants you to go in, but it also helps you to understand what tempts you, why some things tempt you and why some things don't, why some people tempt you and other people don't. You have a unique susceptibility to temptation based on your shape. Now, where does this come from? Where does these temptations come from? Well, some are caused by nature. Some are caused by nurture. Some are caused by your DNA. Some are caused by your environment. Some are caused by your circumstances, your character in life. In essence, what I'm saying is that you don't get to necessarily choose all the temptations that come your way because you have a shape. And just like there is a positive side of your shape that is an indicator of God's will for your life and where he wants you to go in the church and outside the church, but there's also this negative side. And so you know what that means? That means that you can't be self-righteous about anybody else's temptation. You can't be self-righteous about what uh, temptations other people struggle with versus what you struggle with. When you see someone who's tempted, let's say, and I was raised in the 60s or 70s, so it was drug, sex, and rock and roll, right? Okay, that's what, that was, the music was really good, yeah. When you see someone who's tempted by that or by gossip or by same-sex attraction or by porn or by food, you can't be self-righteous and say, you know what, my sin is okay and your sin isn't. You can't say, I can't believe they're doing something like that. That's so nasty. You see, what I'm saying is that we all have patterns of vulnerability, don't we? And you and I better know what they are. You better know your shape like you know the back of your hand. Because if you don't, I guarantee you who does, the devil does. And if you don't know it, you're done for. And so I need to identify my vulnerability. Now let me give you five questions. I want you to take some good notes because, hey, we all need this, right? And we all know people who come to us, man, I'm just struggling in this area. This, you could use this, okay, as a prescription for them. So let me give you five questions, okay? This is the the when, where, what, and how. First one, when am I the most tempted? What day of the week and what time of the day? Where am I most tempted? At, At your neighbor's house, at work, at a sports bar? Who is with me when I'm tempted most? Am I by myself when that happens? A, a co- with a coworker, with a friend? What temporary benefits do I get if I give in to temptation? Because there's always a benefit, folks. You and I wouldn't sin if it wasn't fun. 
okay? As the Bible says, sin is pleasurable for a season, but then after that, it turns to garbage, okay? But if there's no payoff, we wouldn't do it. So what's the benefit? And then lastly, how do I feel right before I'm tempted? You see, you need to know your emotional trigger points, like frustration and stress and tiredness and loneliness. And so the first step on the path to escape that God has promised us is that I must identify what makes me vulnerable. But then secondly, I must plan to avoid it. You don't wait until the temptation is upon you to ask the question, am I going to avoid the temptation or not? No, you decide in advance before your emotions kick in. Now, for those of you who are parents, I've got some advice, so kind of listen up on this, okay? If you have a teenager who is starting to date, and they're getting ready to go out on a date, and you ask them this question, hey, what are you going to do tonight with whoever? And they say to you, I don't know, we're just going to hang out with one another. Hello, watch out. Most of the time, trouble happens when there is no plan. They don't have any plan, they're just hanging, and guess what happens? They start to get bored. And then someone says, hey, why don't we do this? And they end up in the back seat of a car or in a car with a fun run that ends up in a catastrophe. Parents, you can write this down. If they don't have a plan, they'll follow their glands. Plans are extremely important. The Bible is chock full through the, of the importance of having plans. Take a look at Proverbs 4, 26 and 27. Plan carefully what you do. Avoid evil and walk straight ahead. Don't go one step off the right way. Folks, this is extremely, extremely important because if you don't have a plan, your natural desires that are within you will kick in. You see, temptation always begins with a natural desire within you. But oftentimes it is fulfilled in the wrong way, at the wrong time, in the wrong amount. You have natural desires within you. You have a natural desire for food. You have a natural for so desire for drinking. You have, you have a natural desire to even have sex. Guess what? Those all come from God. Those things are not evil at all. Well, then, Pastor George, what's temptation? It's when we abuse or misuse what God has given us. God has given us fire. Fire is good, but if it is misused, it can burn down your house. Water is good, but if it is abused, you can drown. And so what temptation does is that it takes natural desires that are within us to runaway desires. I, I got to have it, and I got to have it now. And so we fulfill it in the wrong time, in the wrong way, and in the wrong amount. Any God-given desire, natural desire, becomes sin when that happens. And so you have to have a plan in advance. Folks, if I know that I am tempted by sports, that I'm tempted when I go into a sports bar, guess what? 
I don't go. If I know that I get tempted when I get tired, do you know what that means? That means I get my proper rest and I get my proper exercise. And so you know the when, the where, the why, the who, the what that makes you vulnerable and you make a plan in advance. Does that make sense? The third thing, step on this pathway to escape is that I gotta guard my heart. This is Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for it affects everything you do. Temptation always starts on the inside. Now, a lot of times we don't think that way. We think that it happens out there. It does not. Temptation always starts on the inside. It's triggered on the outside, but it happens on the inside. If there was no natural temptation within you, based on your shape, based on your nature, based on your DNA, based on all those things, it wouldn't have any attraction for you. Let me give you an example. A magnet and plastic have nothing in themselves that attract them to one another, do they? Only another piece of metal with a magnet that has something in it would be like that. But if it doesn't have anything within it, they're not attracted. This is the point that Jesus makes when he really talks about this in depth in Mark chapter 7. Let me read this to you. I wasn't able to get it in your outlines. Mark 7, 20 through 23. He went on, Jesus did, what comes out of a person is what defiles them. In other words, it's on the inside. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. You see, if you're really serious about uh, breaking a bad habit, I say this, you need to do a heart checkup on a regular basis. So I say this, let's do one. Let's do a Snapchat right now, okay? I mean, they just went public, and I don't know, $400 million, billion dollars or something. I'm not into that, so I didn't listen that carefully. But let's just do a Snapchat. I'm going to give you a minute to do an emotional heart x-ray of your life right now, okay? And then what you see in your outline are 10 categories. So let me, uh, there's some on the left, and there's some on the right. And in between, there's numbers between 0 and 5, Okay? So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you one minute, because this is a Snapchat, right? We're going to do this really quick. Of these 10 areas to find out where your heart is at right now. I'll give you an example. The top one, physically exhausted, is on the left. On the right side, it's energetic and in shape. Emotionally, right now. Where are you at on that scale from zero to four? Are you more towards the physically exhausted or are you more towards energetic and you are in shape, okay? So I'm gonna let you do that for about one minute. Do 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 do
This is a Snapchat. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to add up your score, which means if you have all zeros, you got zero. If you got all fours, then you got 40, right? Add them all up and put your total at the bottom of that metric. Now, at LifePoint Church, I am known as PG. It stands for Pastor George, okay? Today, I am Dr. George, and I am going to interpret your results, okay? This will be eye-opening for you. If you have a score of 30 to 40, you are in good shape in regards to temptation, okay? You can resist it. If you have a score between 20 and 30, you are in the danger zone. You are in the yellow zone. You are being ready to be set up, okay? Temptation, in essence, is knocking at your door. If you have a score between 0 and 20, my guess is temptation is just starting to enter to the door. You are in a crisis mode, and you need to get some help ASAP. Now, after you've done your evaluation, your emotional evaluation of your heart, you need to ask yourself the question, how long have you been at this level? The longer you've been at a level, let's say 0 to 20, the more vulnerable you are. Did you catch that? You see, you mix all those components, those 10 components. You mix in your shape. You mix in your shape and your emotional state. And it is a powerful combo. All of a sudden, you're going to hear somebody whisper in your ear, you know what? You deserve this. You deserve to be respected. You deserve to be loved. You deserve some fun in your life right now. And that whispering voice will not be God. You are being set up. You are being set up. And the devil is beginning to get a foothold in your mind. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 27. Don't give the devil a foothold. Will you circle Foothold. What is a foothold? It is a mental state. It is a mental state of negative emotions. Anytime you have a negative emotions going on in your mind for an extended period of time, and folks, I don't really care what kind of emotion, negative emotion it may be. It may be anger. It may be worry. It may be uh, fear. It may be bitterness. It may be envy. It may be jealousy. It doesn't really matter what it is. If it's been there a long time, you are allowing the devil, temptation, to get a foothold in your mind and in your heart. You gotta guard your heart. You gotta stay on the right side as much as possible. Does that make sense? The, the fourth thing, the fourth step on the path to escape is this. You gotta pray. You gotta pray for a getaway. To get away. You gotta pray for deliverance, okay? And what I mean by that is that you gotta ask God for help. This is what this sixth part of the Lord's Prayer really is all about. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We're asking God to help us. Now, I would have you know that that doesn't have to be a long conversation. It can be one word, help! Okay, two words, God, help! 
okay, a phrase, God help me with this person. Now, why can we expect God to help us? Because he said he would. He's promised. Let me give you another promise. Psalms 50, verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Will you circle the phrase, call upon me? And then circle the phrase, deliver you. Folks, you can call upon God, and it doesn't have to be a long word or how long a long conversation. It can be one word, help, SOS, mayday, mayday. God, I need your help. And God says, I will do it. Now, why is that? It's because he is sympathetic to your situation. Take a look at Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. Jesus understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and grace to help us when we need it. Now notice, and will you underline, Jesus understands, okay? Why? Will you circle the phrase, all of the same temptations? Because he's faced all the same temptations. Wait a minute, Pastor George. Are you telling me that Jesus was tempted? Yeah, well, that's exactly what I'm saying. You mean he's, he was tempted to be angry? Uh-huh, yeah. He was tempted to be cranky when he woke up in the morning? Some of you married one of those. Yeah, absolutely. He was tempted to have sex? Yeah, uh-huh. But he was God. Are you telling me God didn't have a choice? Folks, he had the freedom to choose. That's why in the garden, one of the biggest temptations he had, Father, not my will be done, but yours. But in fact, there's a, real, there's a formula there for success. Address God. God, all things are possible for you. Number two, give him your request. Hey, take this cup of suffering from me. But number three, God, your will be done, not my will. He had a choice. So he knows what you're going through. But here's the better deal. He didn't sin. Now, why is that so important? It's because, it's because he knows how to overcome so that he can help you. And when you start to talk to God about your life in those areas that you would like to see God's redemptive potential be seen, he's there and he's listening and he can identify with you, with where you're at and he can show you the way out. I hope you are getting the text, though this is the last day, with your prayer ring, because every noon I get the text, okay, God, I'm really busy right now, and I just pull out my ring, and I pray for my neighbors, and I pray for my small group, and I pray for my family, and then I pray for me. God, here are the areas that I struggle with. Here's where I want to see your redemptive potential show up. And then I pray for life point. The fifth step, or the fourth step, is to pray for deliverance. The, the fifth one in the key to a path of escape is I turn my attention elsewhere. In other words, I change the direction of my thoughts. I refocus on something new. I shift 
my attention. You just don't continue to watch the same, watch and listen the same channel. No, you turn the channel. So let me give you the secret of, temp, of temptation. Will you write this down? Don't resist it, refocus. Don't resist, refocus. Because whatever you resist persists. It's just driving it more. It's like nailing it in your mind when you are seeking to resist it. My father-in-law always told me this. He gave up smoking when we had grandkids, but he always kept a pack. Cigarette. Uh, can't have that cigarette. We'd walk into a restaurant that had smoking back then. Oh, cigarette smoke. What was he doing? By the way, he quit a thousand times. It's easy to quit, okay? He was focusing on cigarettes. You see, whatever you focus on, you move towards. Let me put it like this. Whatever gets your attention gets you. I know I can't afford a car, but I just want to go in and look and smell them. Oh, that new car smell. And then you walk out with a 72-month bill for $500 a month for the next 72 months, right? Whatever gets your attention gets you. Why is that? Because the battle for sin always starts in the mind. Take a look at Psalms 119, verse 6. Thinking about your commands will keep me from doing some foolish things. Why? Because if you're thinking on truth, you're not thinking about dumb stuff. Right? And so you think about truth. Have you ever been to the top of a mountain or maybe on a cliff and looked over and felt like you were drawn to jump? Felt like you were drawn to jump over? I did when I climbed Mount Albert, I don't know, a couple of years ago, 14,128 feet. I got to the top and I looked down and said, oh my goodness, that's a long way. And I had to back off because I felt like it was like a magnet that was drawing to me. What in the world is going on? Whatever you focus on is what you move towards. Whatever gets your attention gets you. Let me give you another example. Let's say there's something that irritates you, and you begin to think about it. First time you think about it, you know what? It just kind of annoys you. Then you think about it a little bit more, and then it bothers you. And then you think about it a little bit more, and then it upsets you. And then you think about it a little bit more, and it just ticks you off. Have you ever felt that way while you paid $5 to be on the toll road parked? Whatever gets your attention gets you. Whatever you focus on, you move towards. You see, temptation always has a pattern. And it is this, attention, arousal, action. Attention, your mind gets focused on it. Arousal, your emotions start to rage. And then you act on it. And so you don't fight a temptation. You just turn your thoughts other places. And that's why Paul said in, in first, or 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we capture every thought to the obedience of Christ. Now, some of us aren't very good at that, okay? We're just not. But what we need is practice, not 
promises. I promise I'll be a better person. How many spouses have heard that one? Honestly. Practice, or promises don't make better people. Practice makes better people. Does that make sense? So, you and I, as we're traveling through life, we can't control the circumstances. As we're traveling down the tollway, it's dead stop, or who knows for what reason, okay? We can't control the circumstances, and we can't control our feelings, but guess what we can control? We can control what we think about. And if you change the way you think, it will change the way you feel. And if it changes the way you feel, it will change the way you act. The devil had Jesus in the wilderness to himself. And he came and he tempted him with food. He said, Jesus, here's the deal. <laughs> I know you're hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? What did Jesus say? Did Jesus say, I'm not hungry? No. He turned his mind to truth. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so what I am saying is don't fight a feeling, ignore it, and do so by refocusing on something else. And when you do that, the attraction factor will diminish and you will continue to be on the right path. This is what Paul, this is what I say Paul would call the principle of replacement. Take a look at Romans 12, 21. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil with good. Don't focus on evil, focus on good. What's the opposite of the evil? Th th this, it's good. I'm gonna focus in on that. Now, like I said, some of us aren't good at this. And I'm not saying it's easy. But folks, it is very possible. But it only happens through practice. And so I identify what makes me vulnerable. I plan to avoid it. I guard my heart. I pray for, de for deliverance. And I turn my attention elsewhere. And then lastly, I get a group and a person to help. You see, I told you in the beginning, willpower isn't enough for permanent change. You've got to get a group, and you've got to get a person within that group. And so as we close, I just want to ask you this question. How serious are you in changing? Is it just promises? Or are you going to get into practice and get into community? You see, if you're serious about changing, can I just be blunt with you? You're not going to do it on your own. It's just not going to happen, okay? It takes other people. The last half of 2016, I was not feeling good at all. After my sabbatical, I was wiped out. And you all know the situation that I was in. I had to get an operation in November. But I was wiped out. And, and, and so because... No reason, but here's the reality. I was tired of fighting my tiredness and what was going on in my body. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to get some comfort food. And my poison is bluebell ice cream. I don't like that blue bunny stuff. <laughs> Gag me royal, okay? Bluebell is where it is at. And it's not just any bluebell. It's got to be vanilla bean bluebell. 
And from June through basically December, I ate a big bowl. Now, let me describe that for you. That is a, a scoop that big, three of them. I mean, it took the whole bowl. I was buying half a gallon of Bluebell ice cream about every four days, okay? But that's not all of it. I also like Bluebell fudge pops, and I ate two of those with my bowl of ice cream. Oh, it just felt so good. On top of that, an ice cream bar by Bluebell, okay? I did that for almost six months. After I had my operation and my energy levels coming back up, I said, you know what? I want to get back in shape. I want to get back on the Daniel plan that I've been practicing way before then. And so guess what I did? I asked Cheryl to help. Cheryl is a health nut. She is a hatchet woman. She let me get by because I wasn't feeling good physically, but after that was done and fixed, okay, George, no. I can do it if I want to. No, hatchet woman. I described her in the first service as a little Hitler, okay? Everyone laughed. Someone reproved me afterwards, okay? But anyway, here's my point. Some of you need a Cheryl. Some of you need a Shirley or a Samantha or a Sam. You need someone to come into your life. I call them a partner in crime. You're going to be my partner in crime. We're going to go through this together. And when I'm struggling, guess what? I'm calling you, baby. Here, help me. Some of you need that kind of a person in your life. You're not going to find them just by going up and tapping them on the shoulder. It happens as you're in community. And through community, you find someone who says, you know what? I think you and I got something going here. I, I, I really like to talk to you about some areas in my life. I just, I just want to grow. I want to reach my redemptive potential. I don't want to be waking up in the morning and promising all over again. No, I want to see changes in my life. And it may be three steps forward and one step back, and it may be six months of eating ice cream, but I'm going to get off that wagon, and I'm going to go for this thing. And so what I'm saying is this. It is absolutely impossible to be sinless. But it is very possible to sin less. And with Christ in your corner and the promises that he has in God's word and the instruction that he's given us, and hopefully you've taken good notes, you can sin less to the glory of God and for the good of yourself. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you. God, I thank you that you entered into our world, that you became one of us, that you just didn't stay in heaven and dictate orders to us, but you came and you fleshed it out. And in doing so, you experienced what we experience on this side of eternity, yet without sin. And that helps us to know that you are a good father. That helps us to know that you're a father filled full of grace and mercy. A God who is slow to anger, but abounding in loving kindness. And because you didn't sin, God, we can overcome. Through your spirit, that resides within us, we can overcome. We can be difference makers, not perfect. 
but we can send less. Maybe today some of you need to give your life to Christ. You've tried to win his approval through your behavior, and it's not working. Will you just say yes to him? He's your God. He's your Savior. He knows and he understands. Just admit it to him. Come to him and say, God, I admit, I've blown it. But I believe you're the answer. Thank you for your, your death on the cross for my sins and for your resurrection that helps me to understand that I can be an overcomer with you as you are in my life. And so, God, I give my life to you right now. If you prayed that prayer on your communication card on the back, there's a little box, I've given my life to Christ. Will you just check it? Maybe put a letter A so it kind of pops out where you've accepted Christ. Throw it in the offering basket as it goes by. When I get them, I'll mail you some literature. It'll help you understand what you've just done. Well, God, you're a good God. We thank you for this 40-day journey that we've been on. And help us this week, help us the rest of our lives to be those who love you in the most fundamental way, just conversing with you and listening to you, knowing that you care, knowing that you're working. And so, God, we give you this. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.